BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. In 2005, two brothers hit the road to chase demons and fight monsters. After 15 years, they made television history and built a community of dedicated and lasting fans. I'm Rob Benedict. I played God, a.k.a. Chuck Shirley. And I'm Richard Spate Jr., and I played the Archangel Gabriel, a.k.a. the Trickster, a.k.a. Loki. And in later years, I stepped behind the camera to direct a bunch of episodes. Though we've been involved with the series for years and multiple seasons, we never sat down and watched the entire show. Until now. Rob and I are going episode by episode, watching each and every one. And we're diving in with the folks who made the show to bring you an insider's point of view and some great behind-the-scenes stories from the writers, producers, crew, and actors. And along the road, we're becoming fans. We've heard you saying it for years, and we finally get what all the excitement is about. We'll definitely be hitting on some spoilers, so you better be watching with us or look out. This show holds up after all this time and deserves to be watched and rewatched. Thank you for joining our journey and listening to Supernatural Then and Now. Hey, everybody, I'm Rob Benedict. Hey, everybody, I'm Richard Spade Jr. And it's season four, episode six of Supernatural Yellow Fever. Who you calling yellow? <laughs> I got a fever. <laughs> uh, I got a fever for a flavor of a Pringles. Um, yeah, dude, yellow fever, kind of a classic, right? Oh, it's a classic. Can't wait to talk about it. And you know what? And I'm not just saying it because it's written right here. This is fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Rob always reads the script. He's so good at following the script. I forget to look at it. And then I look down as Rob says that, and sure enough, there's just a sentence. This is fun. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> as part of our podcast intro. <laughs> Steve really breaking it down. Uh, it, it is fun. It's, it, and you know, you saying, you calling out how much fun it is, is also fun. fun. You know what I mean? Uh, it is. That was fun. And so, hey, remember that. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple or Spotify, so you can be sure to hear all the latest episodes as they come out. Also, follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter at SPN Then and Now. What about Patreon? Do we have any Patreon going? Damn right we do. Check us out on Patreon, SPN Then and Now. Uh, and you will be the first one to know about releases and merch and special events and special episodes. So join us on Patreon. And if you, you like what we're doing, uh, you know, go ahead and rank us on that uh, Apple or Spotify. Give us five stars if that's an option. Right. If you don't like what we're doing, please keep your opinion to yourself. Yes. <laughs> we don't want to hear. Nope. All right. Ready, Rich? 
Hit me, buddy. Summarize. The brothers arrive in Rock Ridge, Colorado to investigate a string. You know, my uh, high school I went to was called Rock Bridge. Really? Uh-huh. Ooh, did Sam Medina ever show up? Maybe. Mm. You'll never know. They would have been, they would have been uh, first graders when you were a senior. Uh-huh. But The brothers arrive in Rock Ridge, Colorado to investigate a string of deaths of seemingly healthy people. Yeah, that's weird. Sam and Dean interview the coroner and inspect the body. Nothing seems to be wrong aside from the scratches on the arms. Right. The boys go to interview Sheriff Al Britton, who was a good friend of Frank, the most recent victim. Such a bummer. And they even played on the same softball team, the Gamecocks, which was the name of your high school mascot. Sam and Dean go to have a conversation with. Wait a minute! I don't know. Hold on. I was. It was a joke. It didn't land. It didn't land. They don't all. They don't all land. I, I wanted it to, buddy. I, I know. We all did. We you. all were rooting for it, and it never did. It never quite. Because <laughs> it's a joke on a joke. It's it's already a joke in the show, so I can't make that joke here. Well, I, can, I I'll help you out here. So I went to USC, which is the Trojans, USC Southern California, mm-hmm. and USC South Carolina University of South Carolina are the Gamecocks, mm. and our favorite joke. Uh, in college was to say, if USC California ever played USC South Carolina and the Trojans beat them badly, the announcer could say, and the Trojans roll over the cocks in this uh, head-to-head matchup. Um, but that never happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> they never played each other. Anyway, uh, there we go. Uh-huh. There's another bad joke for you. <laughs> anyway, uh, that is a funny moment in the show, too, where he says Gamecocks. And, and it's done on purpose, and, by the way. It's a joke. Jensen laughs, yeah. Or it's yeah, laughs. written to be funny. Uh, Sam and Dean go to have a conversation with the victim's neighbor, who confirms that Frank has been acting strange recently. The neighbor has a number of reptile pets, and this seems to get under Dean's skin. He's acting strange. The neighbor explains that Frank's wife had committed suicide Back in 1988, Dean's strange behavior continues to escalate, and he sets off the EMF detector. The boys call Bobby, who confirms that Dean has ghost sickness, mm. where a buru spirit infects a living body. As soon as they said buru I said, I'm going to have a hard time with this. <laughs> yeah, you are. Weirdly, you did it well. Did I? I think all of your fear about how to say buru buru got in your head. Where boo, but you did, but then you nailed it. Yeah, thank you. You know who I wish had written a song about the Buru Buru? What? Who? The Hooter Gurus. <laughs> I think the Hooter Gurus out of Australia would have been a great uh, band to write a song about the Buru Buru. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would have been great. Uh, where a Buru Buru spirit infects a living body with fear that gets worse until the victim's heart gives out, all usually within 24 hours of being infected. Bobby believes that if you can destroy the ghost that has started the infection, you can cure it. So once again, Dean's on a crash course to die. Yeah. Dean is getting more jittery and nervous. He starts hallucinating. He coughs up a wood chip. Yeah, that's a gross little sequence. It is. Uh, Sam believes this is a clue. The brothers head to a local sawmill where they find evidence linking a man named Luther Garland to Frank's wife, Jesse. Hmm. The ghost of Luther appears. Very spooky in the corner of the room. Oh, yeah. Dean makes a run for the Impala. Sam and Dean go to question Luther's brother, John, who tells a dark story about how Luther was a large and scary-looking man, but was actually very kind. Both Luther and Jesse worked at the sawmill. Luther had a crush on Jesse and liked to draw her picture. After Jesse had disappeared and taken her own life, Frank made the connection that Luther had something to do with it and killed him violently by chaining him to the back of his truck and dragging him over the asphalt, which is what I often tell people you do to me when it comes to comedy. Uh you know, people tell, come to me a lot and they go, wow, you seem to really uh, break a lot of hearts with the ladies. And I'm like, hey, it's the asphalt. You know what I mean? It's, it's my it's my backside. Can't be blamed. 
It's not up here. It's not the face oh fault. It's the asphalt. Oh my god! How long? How long did that? Was that one that was just in your arsenal? Nope. That just dusted that oh, one off right good, now. Made it up. Good job. People who are getting the ghost infection are slowly reliving Luther's death. That's what's happening. Hence the wood chip. Hence the scratches. Now Dean's hallucinations are getting worse. He even sees Sam with yellow eyes threaten him with his powers. Mm. But then the sheriff shows up. He's also infected with fear and believes that Sam and Dean are onto him for protecting Frank and covering up Luther's death. Dean and the sheriff fight, but the sheriff's heart gives out from the fear infection first. Lilith appears in a hallucination to Dean, that fantastic actress, same one, yes. come back. Meanwhile, Sam is with Bobby catching the ghost and killing it with fear. Once Luther's ghost is destroyed, the disease leaves Dean. Later, the brothers discuss the hallucinations. Dean doesn't reveal that he saw Sam with yellow eyes. Yeah, there's a lot of secrets in this show, man. I tell you, a lot of brothers not telling brothers stuff. Brothers not telling brothers, um, no. One little side note on the Gamecocks joke. Did you notice that in the, remember there's a flashback to the to Frank hanging out with his other softball playing pals? Yes. The other team are called like the Cornholers or something. Yes, like, I a, did. Yes, I did. It's another, yeah, another sort of, also phallic joke. a good penis joke. Um, yeah, I did notice that. And, uh, the actor, a lot of great guest stars in this. The actor who plays the sheriff. Oh, yeah. Works which, all the time. Yeah, works all the time, and he's great. And then the, even the the guy who played Luther's brother, uh, when they interview him, he's fantastic. Oh, it's great. So good. Yeah. So let's get into this uh, this next segment that Rich likes to call... R-R-R. and Rich Review. You know, this is a classic episode. I, how can you not love Jensen doing the comedy? You start you start going to supernatural conventions. You're going to hear the words "yellow fever." You're going to see clips of Dean flipping out, and you know, you mean just from the get go, this show has been on my radar without ever having seen it. Same from just the fact that fans love it. So much. same, uh, you know, people are like, oh yeah, season uh, season four is great. A lot of good episodes, and I'm like, yellow fever. You know, it's like I knew the the title of this before I saw it. Same. I, I, it's one of the only, that's a good point. It's one of the only, it's like Bad Day at Black Rock, Justin Bellow. This one, there's titles that float around and you just know French, the title. French Mistake. French Mistake. So this is one of those titles. Yeah. Um, and so it's really fun to see him. And just doing his comedy chops that Jensen's so good at. Yeah. And then, of course, the classic with him, uh, yeah, yeah uh, screaming at the cat. It's classic. You know, you go, and also, I don't want to take away from the fact that he is really great at comedy. Yeah. But man, in this episode, Jared is the perfect straight man. Like, he just is so good yeah. at being the, what is wrong with you? And the, you know what I mean? So they, they really work off each other really well to execute the, the story here. Yeah. And then, of course, the comedy version of the story. The Eye of the Tiger moment. Um, yeah. And that that post scene of him singing in the on the car uh, again. Yeah, that's classic. How many times have we seen that? Nobody plays an upper thigh like Jensen Knackle. I've always said that. <laughs> that's true. He was really on fire. And how much fun they're having! It's you can just tell. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I, I can't. I really. I. I've the guest stars are are awesome. The it's the 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 story is a bit tragic about the the poor guy who got dragged behind the car, and the only way to kill the ghost is to do that again to this poor guy, to his spirit. So that's uh pretty tragic but yeah um yeah yeah and it also is forwarding the overall arc of the season which is you know that that the boys have these secrets they're not telling each other and so we're kind of unveiling that I, what's happening i don't know i don't know what's that where this is all leading yeah i know i it's just it's well done again the kind of show that only supernatural the kind of episode that only supernatural can pull off where you just 
are just taking characters that we know and shifting their behavior dramatically, but but are still clinging to the through line of the overall show and just explaining why the character is doing that in a way that makes sense within the universe. It's really challenging, but well done. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I was going to, I'm trying to think of like what kind of a beard I want to give it. If I, if there's like a comedy, you know, there's comedy to the kids, the Kenny Loggins. I'm, I want to go Kenny Loggins. I want to do Kenny Loggins in the seventies. But you want the cat, you want a comedy version of that? But a comedy version of that, like, uh, you know, maybe like you see that, that it's uh, pasted on with, you know what I mean? Yeah. A, no, a novelty beard. A novelty so beard. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah, it's, it's, it's peeling off on the sides a little bit. Okay. So you'll do, uh, you'll do your novelty uh, beard. N- novelty Loggins. I'm going to go no- novelty uh, Loggins. And, and I'll go, and, I, and I'm going to give it, I, what I would give is a full Stapleton, but in honor of it being uh, funny, I'll go with uh, Yosemite Sam. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yosemite Sam is great. <laughs> so he gets a full, which is really more of a giant mustache, but nonetheless, yeah. he gets a, a, a full, what would be translated into a Stapleton, but is arriving in the form of a Yosemite Sam for, in honor of the comedy of the episode. Very good. Very good. Well, this is very exciting, our guest today. And we get to ask him all about the, the, the Buru Burus and, and, and everything else <laughs> having to do with uh, the show, you know, to, in this episode, but also moving forward because he was there until the very end. He joined the series in season four as story editor, climbed the ranks to producer, and eventually ran the show with Bob Singer for the last four seasons. Most recently, he was executive producer on the new Resident Evil series for Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Andrew Depp. Well, let's dive into this. First of all, Andrew, thanks for coming on the, sure. the podcast. We appreciate it. Sure. We'll just get right, right into it. We are talking about episode six, season four. And so you, you at this point, you've been story editor for the, the whole fourth season so far, but this is your first writing credit, writing credit on Supernatural, right? Yes. I was, I and, and uh, Dan Loth, my writing partner at the time, we were staff writers right. on Supernatural in the first season, our first season, my first job in television, period. Um, and so this was, and this is the, this is by, you know, first credit. So yeah, we had been lucky enough to kind of be in the room for kind of the birth of a lot of season four stuff, which is a lot of the, all the angel mythology, a lot of the stuff that really kind of changed the show in a lot of ways. Um, the show is very different from season three to season four. Yeah. And from season four on, I don't think the show ever changes as much. Let's put it that yeah. way. Like the introduction of the angels, the introduction of, of that element really changes the show and really probably buys the show 10, 10 years of. of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so move. Well, what's your uh, supernatural origin story? Like, how did you get the job? Um, it's, 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 it's an old fashioned way now, especially given everything that's going on in the world in the writing world right now. Sleeping um, your way to the top. I get it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I was, I was living in Utah and I was writing comic books. Um, I was writing, I'd written some of my own stuff and I'd written a book for DC Vertigo uh, a couple of years before, but I was mostly making my living writing licensed comics, like Dungeons and Dragons and G.I. Joe and Ghostbusters and things like that. And I would write movie scripts occasionally. And I, around two years, I was kind of on this circle of doing like every six months I would fly out to LA and you go around, you meet some people for general meetings, as you guys are very well aware of. And nothing would ever come of it, but it was kind of fun to do. And then I met uh, Dan Laughlin, who I mentioned, who convinced me to try writing television. And so the- How'd you meet Dan? Like, how did that come about? We, we shared a manager at the time. And I had written a movie, a, a kind of a small contained thriller that Dan was interested in directing. And that's how we kind of first started, got, got talking. And he wanted to kind of get into television and asked if I would kind of write something with him. And so I was like, sure. 
So we wrote a script that was kind of a, it's basically a high school story, like a, except the main character is a cannibal. So it's kind of dark and creepy and, you know, very Heathersy in some ways. And that script was good enough to get us in, and this is the kind of the longer version, unfortunately, but get us an agent at the time. And that agent got us meetings in our first staffing meeting, or showrunner meeting, where you're going to meet the boss. And it's actually a hiring meeting. Right. That person can actually hire you. You meet a lot of people along the way, executives, but like the showrunner meeting this person who can hire you was on a show called Californication. And that we had that meeting literally the day the last writer strike was declared. Wow. <laughs> like it was literally that night they were going to the vote. And we're like, are we supposed to be here? And it was fine. So the strike happened. I went back to Utah and he knew what I was doing and got a call from my agent. And he was like, hey, you know, would you mind coming out for staffing season? Which at that point, now staffing season is all year long. But at that point in time, ran basically from March to June. That's when you would come out. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I packed a bunch of stuff in like my Ford Taurus and drove out and got a studio apartment in LA when you could do that for less than $3,000 a month. Yeah. And very, very fortunately, we, we basically got, early on, we got submitted for two shows and got meetings on two shows. One was by the creators of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for Disney uh-huh. Channel. Mm-hmm. And the other was Supernatural. And I remember we, I was driving on the freeway and we got a, I got a phone call from the agent. He's like, I've got some bad news. And I was like, oh no, Supernatural passed on us. He's like, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers show isn't interested. And I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's, we can do that. Um, and then, about, so it was really, it's it's going to sound bad to say, but it was really a fast process. I would say about two weeks after I got to Los Angeles, we were hired on Supernatural. Wow. And a lot of that was because the script, it was interesting because before when you were, had to staff, you would usually write episodes of pre-existing shows. And we were right at right. the cusp where people were starting to prefer original pilots. And so I remember sitting down with Eric Kripke the first time, you know, who's like, I was just so glad not to read something that was just another lost spec. Like he was just happy to have something kind of new and I think that helped us. And the other thing that uh, Eric did at that time when he was staffing was he expected you to come in with episode ideas. So you had to come in with like two or three episode ideas to prove that you kind of understood the show, understood what it was, things like that. So we watched, you know, some episodes. We came up with some ideas. Um, this first episode was not one of them, but actually our second episode, the, the high school episode was. Okay. That was one we came in and kind of pitched him in the in the, our initial meeting, which he really liked. And then the other idea that he really liked um, was kind of a monster zoo type idea. And again, it was interesting because we were walking into the show. We were walking into the fourth season of a show. They've now done 60 episodes. They're feeling, or certainly Eric and Bob were feeling like, we need to try to just take some swings. Just try, let's try some craziness, especially when it comes to the characters. Yeah. Like we had, you know, not so much with the monsters, we, you know, the monsters, the monsters, and, and they can be fun. But so when we, we the reason we, I think, I, I believe the reason we got the job and the reason we were able to stay on the show was we really committed to doing like, let's take a swing, but a swing that's based in character. So if you look at all of our early episodes, you know, through season four and season five, a lot of them are like, you know, here's a gimmick, but here's why it matters to Dean. So like, this episode, for example, is like, it's not just that Dean gets scared. That's kind of the fun part of it. It's that Dean, for one of the first times in the series, kind of examines and doubts his own place in the universe, if that makes yep. sense. You know what I mean? Why are we doing this job? It's crazy. Only crazy people do this job. Right. Um, that's something he thought for years. Um, but this is the first time he really expressed it. And I know Eric really kind of responded to that. So I remember we went to the first day and you're walking to that room and you're walking to, you know, it's a murderer's role of writer. You've got Eric Kripke and Sarah Gamble and Ben Edlin and Jeremy Carver and Catherine Humphreys and Julie C.G. And this, I'd been in L.A. for two weeks. Wow. You know what I mean? Wow. And, <laughs> and that's when the panic attack. <laughs> like, right yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's kind of how I ended up, how I ended up on the show. And then, you know, we went in and for the first week or two talked about mythology. And that's where a lot of the angel stuff came out. Castiel came out of those conversations. And then 
we just pitched episode ideas and you're only, we were in the room for about six weeks. Dan and I did not walk out of the room with an episode. We did not pitch because the high school episode, they liked it, but they were like, oh, we want to save it for later. So we walked out basically being told by Eric to like go fishing, go find us an idea. And I think he probably kept us on ice just because he was busy and doing other things for about a month before he came in and heard our pitches. And one of the pitches uh, was this episode. And what did, did, was the pitch about the fear infection or was it the, the, the brew brew? Which where, where did it originate? It started with like the simple idea that Dean gets scared. Uh-huh. So like the first idea that we had was what ended up being the teaser of the episode, which is Dean getting chased by a Yorkie. Right, right. And he's a werewolf and it's a Yorkie and what's going on. The idea of the ghost sickness, that actually came from Eric because that was something he had wanted. He That's an idea he was kind of looking to work into the show. So like, oh, we have this gimmick. What can we use to kind of explain it? There you go. And, it, and it's interesting because, again, this was, a, this was a period in Supernatural, if you look at kind of the broad arc of the show, where we were experimenting a lot with monsters and we were trying a lot of, like, toward the end, like, by the end, I mean, like, the last 10 years, we kind of settled in on a lot of our monster rules pretty consistently. But there was this period here in season four and and three and four, especially, where you see us kind of, like, we never did ghost sickness again. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was, it's like the rules are a little wonky, you know what I mean? Um, And it works for the episode, but it's, it's, it's not something you really carry forward. And so that really came from Eric. And then we it just, it just started the process of kind of breaking the episode. And, and I'm sure you've had other writers on the show, but as it works on Supernatural, they kind of are like, okay, go break your episode. You know what I mean? And good luck. And we'll see you in six yeah. weeks. Um, it's not, it's not a really room heavy show and, and never was. And so, and again, for Dan and I, this is our first episode of television. Right. You know, so we're kind of feeling around in the dark a little bit. But when Eric came back uh, and Bob came back, we had enough good stuff. I mean, the pitch, as I remember, it was our, our initial pitch was incredibly overcomplicated, <laughs> like way too complicated. Like it was a hundred pages of, of, of dumb stuff. <laughs> um, but there was enough, there were enough seeds in there that Eric was like, okay, now I'm going to show you how to actually make this new episode. Oh, wow. And, and so that process, as I recall, the process on this one, they're not always, they weren't always super easy, but the process on this one was, was relatively straightforward. Again, just because the gimmick was strong enough that once you decided, okay, we're going to do this, everything spins off being scared. Sam's reaction to that. Everybody else's reaction to that. Um, Dean's own personal reaction to that and everything else. And so, uh, so it was, it was, it was really interesting to be part of it, especially again, for a first episode, it was not, it it is a conventional episode of Supernatural because there's a monster of the week and everything's kind of wrapped up by the end, but it wasn't necessarily, again, we were in that period of in Supernatural, like taking chances. And I I shouldn't say that because I think we took chances really throughout the run of the show. Um, But starting in season three and then going into season four, that's when I think the appetite for experimentation really got crazy um in, in the best possible way you know what i mean that's right. black and white episode that's where we're doing all this kind of stuff and the show was established enough it had the tools and eric was confident enough and bob were confident enough. they're like okay let's take some really wild swings and this was one of them right. and when and it paid off i mean it became one of the most iconic episodes you know but yeah what yeah. a great start for you guys well it's Little interesting Lord. because when this episode so this episode we do the episode we're happy with it eric's very happy with it you know, uh, Jensen improvs at the end, that great Eye of the Tiger thing. It's fantastic. Phil does a great job directing it. And I remember it's going to air that, you know, whatever, whenever it aired in October or whatever. And Sarah Gamble stopped by my office and like, hey, you're going to want to read comments. And at that point, really, this is pre-Twitter. So if you're going to read stuff, right. it's all like television about pity. Right, like, yes. Back in that era. <laughs> oh, man, I forgot about that. Yeah. And so she's like, you're going to want to read comments. She's like, I'm going to tell you not to, but I know you're going to. And so, of course, I'm going to read comments. So. Go, so episode airs on the East Coast. I go to Terrorist Pity. I load it up. First comment is, it was a pretty good episode. Like, not not bad. 
Second comment was, that was the worst episode I've ever seen. This person should never work again. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I would say that was, I would say over the many, many episodes of Supernatural I wrote, like that really set the template. Yeah, sure, yes. sure. Interaction. Yes. But when it came out, because it because kind of the rules of it were like, this only happens to people that are kind of jerks or right. dicks in the, in, the, in the show. And it's happening to Dean. There was a huge fan backlash against it. Uh, there was a fan backlash to the point Eric had to put out a letter from Eric Kripke saying, hey, we don't think we're not saying Dean's a bad guy. This is part of a larger story. Yeah. And if you stick with us, it's going to pay off in ways that you don't you're not going to expect. But again, wow. you've got the fan base is really keyed into these guys. Nobody can binge anything. Right. It's all a week. We got to wait it out. And in case, right. in case of Dean's story, I had to wait it out for the better chunk of a season. I want to be sure that our listeners heard that. Yeah. You couldn't binge back then. Yes, this is like, like this may sound like sci-fi we're talking about now, but there was a time yeah, yeah. when you had you to had wait. You had to wait for the week. DVD box set at the end of the season. Yeah. yeah. You had to wait for the DVD box set. I mean, and and I mean it's interesting because I mean, not to get too far off topic, but like you bring that up, but nowadays people have much, much different experiences of the show depending on when and how you watched mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Like if you watched it, we if you were there from day one, you were watching it week to week with with everybody else, you got three years of just Sam and Dean where you could really bond with them. If you binged it, whether that's on Netflix or DVDs or whatever, you maybe spent two weeks with them. And then Castiel and everybody else come right. in. You know what right. I mean? So it's a very right, different right, right. way of experiencing the show. Good um, point. But at that point in time, everyone was watching it week to week. So the episode was actually very controversial when it came out and was not super popular at the time. There are other episodes that people really liked a lot, a lot better. But over time, I think again because that storyline paid off and because Jensen's performance is so good, it, it really kind of came into its own, and now people seem to enjoy yeah. it. So that's, that's yeah, rare. I think that people really like. Again, looking back, it's rare that you get this level of comedy, you know, in the show. So it's it's you know there's there's little bits. You know, Richard and I certainly played characters that we got to be funny every once in a while. But but to see Dean doing that, I think that was what fans really enjoy, and it's like the outtakes. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's interesting because, you know, if you've talked to Bob and he may have told the story, but like they're kind of doing the show for a season and getting into it and they do the Midnight Flyer episode, which is really the first episode where Jensen's asked to play comedy. Mm-hmm. Right. The opportunity to play yeah. comedy. And they're like, oh, wait, this guy's funny. Right. This guy can do right. this. Right. 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 Um, right. And then they started to lean into it a little bit more and a little bit more. But I think, again, starting in season four, they were like, all right, well, we know he can do this. Let's let him yeah. do it. Basically. Yeah. And so, you- aren't you glad that uh, Eric Kripke didn't write a letter to the fans going, "Listen, Andrew Dad went rogue. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know what Dan, Dan and Andrew were doing. We're so sorry." By the way, I would say if that had happened now in the era of Twitter and everything else, it would have been a much bigger deal. Uh-huh. I, I think so. I think that you know Eric doing that because believe me, he could have written us off. Like you know, this is our first episode on the show. It was a good episode. It was a good process. Like there were no bumping over the bumps along the, the road, but like it could have been a very easy PR win for him. Right. To be like, to do exactly what you said, Rich, to be like, look, this, they went rogue, you know, um, maybe I'm not even going to fire them, but they went rogue. We'll learn from our mistakes, blah, blah, blah. But he really, really stood up for us, which I really appreciate. And that's, that's how Eric kind of led the show. Like he was always, he was always behind. It felt like he was always kind of on our side. Right. So I have a question about this process that you and Dan established, because you talk about it, you, you, you're in Utah, you're writing comic books, you write a script. Yes. Or you write a movie, I guess you've written a movie, but you've written one episode of TV, a pilot. Yeah. Um, that's a big jump, dude, to, to then suddenly be on a show. So, like, and and for those who've never tried writing screenplays, they don't look like novels, they don't look like comic books. They're their own, they're their own blueprint, man. So it's its own style, the act break style mm-hmm. that you're doing. How hard was it 
getting dialed into that style? Uh, it was hard, although I had written comics for about 10 years and comic book scripts and movie scripts have a lot in common because they're both fundamentally technical documents. Like a comic book script, you're like, hey, in this panel, Superman does this. And the artist then goes off and draws whatever Superman does. In a screenplay, you're like, in this scene, Dean does right. this. So there was, a, there was quite a bit of, and also you're writing to essentially issue breaks. Every 22 pages, you have to end the issue. Right. So that translates to an act. Right. So even though I had not written wow. television, I had some experience in some of the bigger things. But I'll say, I mean, we got on the show and had some success early because the show, the episodes kind of worked. But I'll say for me to feel comfortable writing television, it took three seasons of actually writing television. Wow. Dude, but that would have, that's, I didn't know anything about writing comic books until everything you just said. That's fascinating. Well, yeah, and you also have to do the establishing, really like, meanwhile, back at the lair, you know, you have to, yeah. Exactly. You're you're kind of managing things, you're managing, you know, like, so when I was writing, like I say, a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and, and license stuff, but but the rules are kind of the same. But I remember after day one, season, season four, day one, season five, and day one, season six, like, you know, I remember having conversations with Dan and with, like, other people and being like, I think I have to quit the show. Like it was just, it was just, what? It was Why? Over, it was overwhelming. Wow. It was, yeah. it was overwhelming. Again, I got out to, like just going from Utah, and I live in a place called Ogden, Utah, which is not a small town, but like not huge. To LA is a huge thing, and then shifting yeah. into a show is a huge thing, and an established show is a huge thing. A show with that level of quality, because Supernatural was, you know, and again, I'm, I'm crazy biased, but like. It's it was it's one of the best written genre shows, or I would argue shows on television. And going from the middle of season three, kind of after the writer strike in season three to the end of season four, there's about 30 episodes where there are no bad episodes. Right. Like every episode, like the, the batting average is incredibly high. And so to walk into not just a new show, but a show that's really in its kind of at that point, it's pinnacle, if you ask me. It, it just was stressful in a lot of different ways. And so I remember after our first day in the room. I was just feeling, I was like, I can't do this. Like, I, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. I don't know what anybody's talking about. They're using this television shorthand, which I don't speak that language because I've never, I was not an assistant. I didn't come up through the ranks in that way. I remember Dan and I went to a pastry shop in like Atwater Village here in LA. And I just sat like sadly eating a cream puff and deciding if I was going wow. to <laughs> I was gonna, like, keep doing this. So was Dan always talking you off the cliff or was he like you also nervous about? No, it? he was Dan is more established than I was. He was he was I think he was nervous in his own way, but he was he was talking me off the cliff. Like he he really was. So so I would say like it took a long time for me to feel comfortable. Wow. Like I mean literally 3 seasons and probably uh 12 11 12 episodes. Wow. Before I was like, "Okay, I think I understand that." And and by the way, I still feel uncomfortable writing it. It, it can always suck. But like, until I stopped having like that, like literal dread of- I know what you mean, that's crazy. Just hold that thought, we're coming right back. You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. 
Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance, and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit seekanomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. Uh, so for Yellow Fever, did you did you travel to Vancouver? No. Um, at that point in time, really throughout the run of Supernatural, it was rare for writers to go to uh-huh. And some of that was a function of the show had been up and running for three years. And, uh, you know, it, they know what they're doing. A lot, a lot, But a lot of it was a function of we had a very small staff. You know, again, we're doing 22, 20, in this period, 22 episodes, but 20 to 24 episodes a year with a staff of usually between six and seven writers. So basically, as soon as you're done writing, for the show to function, you have to go and start writing again. And so we did not, uh, so I didn't go to set for the first time until I think the end of season six. Okay. Wow. Um, I, I didn't I didn't go to sh- uh, set until then. And because again, that was just not something that was done on Supernatural. Again, one of the ways it, it works where now a lot of shows work that way, but at the time that was unusual. And for me, that was the right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I needed some time right. to adjust to the LA of it all, the writer's room of it all. Um, so I, I didn't I didn't mind that. And then after that, I was on set, you know, more than obviously more as the show went on. But no, we didn't go to set. So I didn't get to see the filming of anything I had written until I'd written 10. Wow. Like and so what about meeting Jensen and Jared? When did you meet them? Still haven't. <laughs> I'm sure they're good guys. Um, <laughs> no, uh, actually, they stopped by. They would stop by usually in the beginning of the season before they went up to, um, before they went to Vancouver. Hand out autographed headshots, yeah, exactly. uh, shake some hands. Exactly. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of autographs, headshots, a lot That's of hugs. cash. Um, a lot of yeah. cash. But they would, you know, want to sit down and meet with Eric and Bob or whoever was running the show at that time. But they come around, we, we'd all have lunch together and things like that. So I, so I met them fairly early on. 
But again, those guys are, you know, those guys are up in Vancouver for six, seven, eight months. Mm-hmm. Like, and they, they, when they come back, they certainly don't want to come into a writer's. Right, right. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. Sometimes the family or whatever. So um, Sam's yellow eyes at the end during the hallucination, was that discussed in the writer's room about it? Like whether it's a premonition, foreshadowing, that, that was pretty intense. Yeah. You know, you, you see that, you're like, oh shit, is this what we're dealing with now? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, and then again, this speaks to how kind of supernatural evolves. Usually when we go into a season, we would have some vague idea of where the season was going to end, but you wouldn't come out of the first two weeks with like every single beat set out where it's like, okay, episode 14, this, and things like that. There were, and and you'll see this as you go through the early seasons and even through later seasons, where there are things we think are going to be like really important early on, that a better idea comes along and you're like, eh, just don't worry (laughs) about it. You know what I mean? Sam's Yellow Eyes, they work because again, that's Dean's greatest fear. Dean's greatest fear was, oh, my brother's going to go evil, right. basically, right? right. Which right. foreshadows the Satan, Lucifer at all, Lucifer at all and everything right. else. But if I recall correctly, I think we're going to do more with that. And we kind of just put it aside uh, okay. um, because other things ki- kind of came along. But again, that's just the nature of time. Uh-huh. And, and I think anybody that comes in is like, everything, I had a five-year plan and everything worked like clockwork and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not really how it is. You know what I mean? You're, right. you're just, and it shouldn't be. You should be able to discover things along the way because the show, the actors, everything yeah. else, they're going to reveal to you new layers, new things to play with. Like, again, right. we had just done the show as it was written from episode one. You would have never gotten an episode like Yellow. Right. Because the show would have never gone that far. Right, right. Yeah. And, well, to your point, it's like even when you're discovering, oh, crap, Jensen can be funny. Oh, wow. Jared did all these great pratfalls yep. in this other episode, you know, with that, that yep. bad luck one. And you're like, oh, my God. These guys, there's a there's more arrows in their quiver, so we should use these, you know, to our advantage. Yeah, and I would say that applied to, you know, even to later characters like Misha and and Ruth and and the people I'm talking to right now. You know what I mean? Like right. as, as people, especially as the show became a little bit more, I'm going to say ensemble focused, but really more kind of supporting character focused in some ways later in right. later seasons. You got to see what kind of everybody could do, and and we had enough episodes and enough years where you could kind of explore some things, which was really fun and a, and a great luxury. Yeah. So yeah, now I, I just this may be a dumb question, but was it written into the script that snakes crawl all over Jensen? Was that part of the actual story on paper? Yes. Or did that just happen? That was that was part of the story. Um, although the rea- the reactions were real, yeah. but yeah, it, it was something we were just f yeah they are good lord. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, that was that was written in there, and and again, it's one of those things where you write it on the page, and it's easy to write on the page, like you know the the snake crawls on him. But then, you know, how Jens, how Phil stages it and how Jensen reacts, you know, Jared reacts like it's just, you know, that's where kind of the magic happened. And again, that's something you don't really know 100 percent when you're writing something. You're like, I hope this works. Yeah. And and some in some episodes, you do a lot of I hope this works and they don't always work. In this episode, pretty much every single I hope they work worked, worked out. Yeah. Great. You know what I and mean? And then some like you can write they, uh, Dean sees a cat and screams and screams and screams and screams. But, you know. The, the way Jensen acted it was so funny that it, it became kind of a classic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a meme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the goal, really. These days, the goal is just to be a meme. <laughs> just to be a just meme. Right, it becomes Even a meme. before memes, yeah. it was a meme. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, you know that's got to be a weird experience writing for the show at this point. You've never gone up there, you know. You hadn't didn't see how it's filmed, so it must be a weird kind of gratifying experience, really, on the show like this to write it, send it off, and then get the dailies. But then to see like Jared and Jensen, Rob, it'd be like if you and I acted on the show, but never met those yeah, two. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, eight seasons in, we're like, oh, you're tall. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, like, it's a- <laughs> but it, for, again, for me, it was very much like comic books. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Like I'd write a comic script and send it off and I would get back page. You know what I mean? And I think what it teaches you as a writer is like, 
collaboration is everything because it doesn't work for anybody for me to be looking over their shoulder constantly. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like you have to trust yeah. other people. Right. And I think that's something I learned early on in comics. And it's something that I think, you know, we live in this, it may be fading a little bit now, but for a long time, we lived in this kind of age of the showrunner where like the showrunner was supposed to have like, you know, every single thing and it was every choice and was supposed to like, you know, look over everybody's shoulder. And it's like, I just don't think people do good work. Yeah. I think if you get a piece of material that's solid and, you know, Eric and Bob believed in it and they, you know, approved it. And Eric obviously did his tweaks on it. People were more, more or less, you know, if the talent, if the right, right people will do great work. And so that's never stressed me out. You know, what stresses me out is the writing process and getting it on the page in a way that I think makes right. sense. So wait, when you wrote comic books, you'd send it off to an illustrator? Yeah. Yeah. I can't draw. So I'd be like, you know, again, a comic strip is like page one, panel one, Spider-Man, you know, soars through the city. Page two, panel, page one, panel two, he lands. You know what I mean? So you're writing in some cases, pretty generic description because you want to give the artist the freedom to do like, you know, Spider-Man swinging through the city, that could be a really boring illustration or that could be a beautiful skyscape, right. you know, city, right. you know, shot. And so it's like you, you're kind of trusting the illustrator um, in the same way, like here you're with the TV show, trusting you're the trusting director. the director, you're trusting the actors. Yeah. Like um, um, uh, Andrew, we're going to let you go pretty soon, but I just said, we have one more question. Uh, we, we've started to mention God because angels have come in and, you know, we're in this sort of different, like you said, it's been a big step up into season four. <laughs> I am asked this question a lot. I don't know the answer. With the introduction of Chuck later this season, was there a strategy already in place uh, for his arc and where it was going to end up in season 15? No. <laughs> did, did, did we know when Chuck came on as the prophet, did we know that he was eventually going to be God? No. Um, and, I, and it's interesting. So when the initial idea came around for God and the idea of a prophet, you know, I can't, that either came from Julie or Sarah. But Eric really loved that because again, it's a biblical thing we're doing in our own kind mm -hmm. of way. And then we're going through it. So season season four goes and, and Chuck's, you know, competently acted. <laughs> and so we go into season five and we're sitting, and I remember sitting in Eric's office, uh, which had formerly been Chuck Lorre's office. So it's the nicest office you'll ever see. And for Ooh, to nice. break the end of season five and we're sitting there and we're like, well, who's God? Cause we've all, you know, who do, and like it can't, it can't coming back to Chuck and Eric was basically like, are we going to be the asshole writers? They're like, oh, the writer is God. <laughs> and it turned out we were. And then we just kept doubling down on it. Yeah. Like, then we're just like, even more so till yeah. the very end. So, no, it was something that evolved. And, and I would say, frankly, that was the story of a lot of the things that really worked on the show. You know, as I'm sure you guys know, Castiel was not meant to be more than a, you know, a, most a one season character. Right. Um, Crowley, very similarly. Rowena, very similarly. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, plenty of characters later on. You know, something comes out and you work, and, and the mythology unfolds itself. And of course, when you can tie it back into your pre-existing characters or people we've met, that's always important. So, so the God thing evolved kind of organically. And then, as you know, Rob kind of went away for quite a while. Yeah, right. Uh, because we, you know, season six and seven, we shifted over to be more about monsters. And then when the angels came back in, you know, it took a while for us to become, I think, as storytellers kind of, you know, having God in your story really messes up right, your story. Right, right. You know I mean, because that's right. God. Um, so when we were able to kind of bring, bring him back in, you know, off and on, you know, it, we had to be very careful about how we did it, right. you know, leading even toward the end. And, but I think if you, it's interesting because I think if you look back and you go like, okay, well, I know how it ends and I know how, who God ends up being, it actually tracks yeah. with the rest of the It show. really does. And it, it's, it's one of the things I think we did, right. you know, certainly when I was running the show, we did a lot of stuff wrong, but it's one of the things that I think we did right was kind of folding that into making it feel like a larger part of the mythology. So you're getting that kind of, yes. you know what I mean? Versus if it had felt more kind of fake or inauthentic, yes. you wouldn't get. And there, I think happy accidents happened 
before you knew where my character says something about, you know, well, this, I, yes. I, I, I must be a God or things like that. And people are like, Oh, that's a hint, you know? Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Exactly. And, but you know, Eric and the other people writing those episodes, like subconsciously, they may, they've been, may have been thinking, yeah. Yeah. you know, you don't yeah. know, but I, I vividly remember being in Eric's office when he was having funny, a conversation funny. and like really like asking is like, are we going to be really those jerks? And, and <laughs> yes. yes, definitely yes, we, we are. are. Oh, that's yeah. Well, you're not a jerk to us, man. We appreciate uh, your time. Absolutely. This is a great conversation. There's a lot, uh, a lot of deep diving into your, especially your origin story. I had well, no idea. And, 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 to, and to, to see your, to, you realize your arc on the show. It's pretty amazing that you, the way you started and the, and where you ended up. It's, uh, you know, yeah. you're, our, you're our boss. I uh, hope you come back and talk to us again. Uh, obviously, you're a big presence on the to. show throughout the rest of the run, so we'd love to have you back. Yeah, I, I only wrote 45 of them, so I could be back. <laughs> <laughs> but what? And by the way, to, just to circle back on what Rob said, you end up being the big boss, but you start off with what's considered a classic episode, like your very first at bat. Is yeah, iconic, phenomenal. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and yeah, it, it, it's 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 one of my favorite episodes that I was ever involved in. It really That's is, great. and, and uh, just uh, not just because. It was my first one, everything I like, but it like it's it really fires on all cylinders. And again, some of that's the script, but most of that is Phil, the crew, the cast, you know, uh, Jim Beaver coming in at the end for like, you know, the to save the day, like all that stuff really, you know, that that's what made the episode what it was. So I'm just and again, this is you know, when it comes to supernatural generally, I just felt like I was surrounded by the best people and they everything shined more because they made it better than I ever make it myself. Well, that's fantastic. You you did amazing work that really has, uh, you know, bolstered that show over the years. So thank you so much. And thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Guys, This is Jared Padalecki stopping in to say hi and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. Hey, guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel... The one and only Marvel has a mobile game, and it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters, and you complete missions, and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources. And then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means? Free stuff. Free stuff just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week. You take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user, so please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. The dab master general. A uh, dab will do ya. Um, let me tell you something. That was a great interview. Yeah. Boy. It was and maybe, I mean, I loved hearing his origin story. That is literally a rags to riches. Yeah. I was just a young girl on a bus into town. I hopped off and a producer Truly. scooped me up and made me a starlet. You it's know? a Guns N' Roses video. Yeah, exactly. He is Axel Rose in the Guns N' Roses video. Guns uh, did Rose. you do you remember the the video for uh Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the jungle. jungle. Yeah. yeah, of course. But yeah, it's uh, it was great. He has, has a wealth of knowledge as well, and we definitely have to have him back. Tons uh, of personality. Great interview. Just yeah. a fun, funny guy to have on the on the uh, on the show. And he's and he had such a long and storied journey from literally from from paper boy to yeah. CEO. Yeah. You know. Uh, well, we'll have to. You know, he should write a book. He should write a, a memoir about that. My journey as a writer. In Hollywood, it could be called dabbing my way to the top. Yes, a, a dab will do you. Uh, I made that joke at the opening of this. Interview. I know you're right. You're right, and I re. Well, we're going to cut that out. You saying <laughs> Just it? Put yours in. It's, we're starting right here. You know, uh, speaking of this episode, we when we talked to Phil Segrusha, we had Phil relay the story about the famous uh, shot of of Jensen singing "Eye of the Tiger" right. that they they played at the end of the episode. So I'm going to let Phil tell you. The whole story of Eye of the Tiger. Yellow fever, you know, Dean is scared of everything, his own shadow. And we talked about Eye of the Tiger being the song that he would turn on to get his, you know, his... Mojo. Yeah, to get his mojo, to get confidence again. And where would he do it? He would do it in his car. That's baby. He wouldn't do it in a hotel room or motel or whatever. He would be in his car. And when we did the scene, we didn't have the rights to Eye of the Tiger, but it was kind of like you do it and then you do one without it, you know, and then you figure out what the song is later. But I don't know if they talked. I don't know if Jared and Jensen chatted, but I was slightly around the corner in the video tent. Uh, we started it up and and you there is, I think, a moment maybe in the shot or it's one of the other ones. But Jared's across the street with donuts and coffee and he's bringing it to the car and he's supposed to, you know, come around. And Dean's rocking out and, and then he looks at him and then Dean, you know, you know, goes, oh, oh you know, he's tries to cover it up. Yeah. Well, on this take, uh, Jared never shows up. And so Jensen just continues with the song. I'm around the corner about to say cut, but I don't because I start laughing because he's in total sync with the song. 
and he crawls out and sits up on the on the roof everything um it was just one of those moments where you're just like okay we'll we'll be silly here we'll let it go and i tend to not say cut uh when they start messing up with outtakes so this was like all right let's see how far this goes and he went and when you see him at the end, that's the real Jensen smiling. Yeah. It's not him acting. It's him as a goofball. Yeah. And uh, Jared was off next to the camera laughing his ass off. Um, and when we got it in the cut, uh, we knew we couldn't use it. And we didn't even have the money for the song uh, yet. And so we were checking that out and trying to get it. And, you know, and then I forget who did it. I don't know if it was me, but somebody sent it to peter roth and just said wouldn't it be cool if we could put this on after the end credit and he was like floored by it he said this is amazing and he's the one that basically okayed us to spend the money genius on the that's amazing i think yeah so peter, peter roth just for people who don't know peter roth's title was what exactly president of tv for warner brothers yeah he was the head of head of warner brothers television so you know, and Peter loved the show and he 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 was, you know, just a, a big fan of the show and all of us and Kim Manners. And he worked together at Fox on uh, X-Files, I think, back in the day. So Peter was a very good supporter, friend of the show. And when he saw it, my understanding is that he said, yeah, give him the money for this for the song. So the song ends up in the show and the scene ends up. But then at the very end, after. Uh, Eric and Bob's credit, we continue on with. And now, you know, here's a little thing. So uh, it's just one of those moments where I never said cut. And that was another one of those standalone episodes that was hilarious to do because everything about it was, you know, him, Jensen getting chased down the alleyway. And it turns out it's a little teacup dog. dog Yeah. You know, and he's scared. And then the cat in the locker room. And yeah, we had the, we had the, uh, uh, lovely Susie Hinton, S.E. Hinton of the Outsiders, oh, yeah. come visit us on on that. We're out. We're out at this uh, big. I think it was a sawmill out east of town, and it was a shut down sawmill, and it had great stuff. I think this was in where we were, and uh, all of a sudden I get word. Oh, by the way, S.E. Hinton's going to come by the set and hang out. I'm like, what? And turns out Susie was a big fan of the show and wrote Eric Kripke a letter, and Eric was. Like, this isn't really her, and it had to go back and forth a little bit. But, yeah, Susie became a, a fixture. At least once a year, she would stop by the, the set from, I think she's Oklahoma. from Oklahoma. I think. Omaha. Omaha. Yeah. So, anyway, that was a, that was a fun a, yeah, show. Yeah, she, 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 she came by to see Bob one episode, but I yeah. was the, you know, working at the same time. And so it was cool. I got to hang out with her and host her on yeah. the set. It was neat. Neat lady. Yeah. Yeah, she's been so, very supportive. Anyway, that's, uh, that was Yellow Fever. <laughs> Fantastic. That was Phil Sagrisha, of course, talking about Jensen Ackles, Eye of the Tiger. Eye the Tiger. Uh, it's really fun to toss it to Phil like that, like we're in a m- real news program. Let's toss it to Phil. The difference is Phil would, like, do a split-finger fastball back at us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There'd exactly. be no gentle tossing from Phil. Yeah, you know what I'm and hit me in the eye, black eye. All right, let's talk some mythology, Richard. Mythology! Buru, Buru. Oh, oh Rob, what's wrong, buddy? Uh, I don't know. I'm just so I thought you, you're crying, right? Because that's what yeah. I heard. Buru, Buru. Oh, grow up. In Japanese folklore, Buru, Buru are ghosts of fear or cowardice. They are born when humans perform acts of cowardice. Typically, they live in the forest 
and have the appearance of an old frail man or woman. It's me. The spirit would attach itself to your neck or back, giving a chill that would run up your spine, causing the victim to eventually die of fright. Oh, my God. Other interpretations of the ghost caused the victim to be too afraid to leave the home. <laughs> Robert. <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> the word buru buru. Buddy, are you Jap okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just talking about this. Uh, it's a Japanese onomatopoeia, or the naming of a thing or action by a vocal imitation of the sound associated with it. Right. And the buru buru is the sound of shivering and the chill of fear. This is the spirit's name, and it comes from the sound of the shivers that it causes to run down people's spines and necks. See mythology fact number one. Oh, my goodness. That's a deep, deep cut there. <laughs> Yellow fever is actually a very deadly virus. Yeah. The episode was likely making a connection to the term yellow-bellied, which means cowardice. Like if yeah. I look at Rob right now and go, you're yellow. It doesn't mean <laughs> exactly. he's jaundiced. It just means no. he's a big weenie. That's right. And and you often say that, and it's true. Quit being yeller. Yeah. You yellow-bellied. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, I guess, yeah, yellow fever. So it's combining yellow-bellied with actually having the fever of the boo-boo-boo. I'm really surprised. The thing that surprises me the most about this mythology section is that you didn't make some lowbrow urine joke uh, out of the word onomatopoeia. I thought for sure you were going to, come on, I want to pee on you or something. Like, I thought for sure. I was just waiting. I was just waiting. Because that's, uh, that's what I, uh, of the two of us, I would be the one to make that joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't do the same with yellow fever. <laughs> You're too yellow. You know what? If you yellow fever and come on, I want to pee on you, go to go hand in hand. Because, you know, you right. yell at me. if I've got yellow fever, it might mean that it's time for a golden shower. You know, it might, be, that's it might right. mean that it's time for a little onomatopoeia. That's right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I do. And now, if not, if we're, as if we aren't already having fun, here, here are some fun facts. Fun facts! Fun facts! Fun facts! So this is a fun one. Bobby speaking Japanese was actually Jim Beaver's idea. He speaks fluent Japanese. I didn't know this. I didn't either. What Bobby said in the episode translates to, I've spoken Japanese since before you were born. Nice. Sam and Dean used the aliases Tyler and Perry. Robbie, did you know the band? I do. Aerosmith. Right. Or it could be Tyler Perry, the filmmaker. But I think at the time, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, it was about Aerosmith. Steven, Tyler, and Joe Perry are members of the band Aerosmith, the lead singer and lead guitar player, respectively. Indeed. And Tyler Perry directed Big Mama's House. Tyler Perry's blah, blah, blah. He's done a million yeah. movies yeah. that he, they're all called Tyler Perry's, Tyler Perry Presents. He has a yeah. massive movie studio in Atlanta, Georgia, and really yeah. is a, he's a mogul, a movie mogul, he uh, is. Tyler Perry. And he lets you know on uh, when the title of every film. He hey, I, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like if you- No, I know. That's why every episode of Supernatural you directed, it says Richard Spates. <laughs> Exactly. Supernatural. In the season three finale, No Rest for the Wicked, 2008, Sam tells Dean he totally should have been jamming his goodbye speech to Eye of the Tiger. And I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And Dean finally jams to that song in this episode. Ah, full circle. I get it. Rock Ridge is the name of the town under siege in the Mel Brooks comedy Blazing Saddles. That's right. And Rock Bridge is the name of my alma mater high school. Oh, really? It is. Rock Bridge uh, High School in Columbia, Missouri. Nice. 
The lumber mill is called Cassidy and Sons Lumber Mill. This is a subtle reference to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Nice. A lot of fun facts there, Robbie. A lot of fun facts. A lot of facts, and they sure are fun. They sure are fun. Great episode, man. Really fun episode. So good. Andrew Dabb was a great interview. The episode is super fun. What a mm-hmm. another one for the archives. Uh, mm. Just a solid. Now I know why everybody loves this episode. Ah, oh, man, so funny. And uh, you know, shout out to Jensen Ackles for really bringing the comedy here. Bringing the yuck yucks. Yeah. yeah. And bringing the comedy with that improved. You know, it's a good thing that Phil Segrisha was at the helm to be sure that that uh, that whole sequence. Yeah, out. that's what Phil does really well too. He's like he takes those raw moments and tries to include it. And you know, Phil's Phil Phil helms a lot of the. Uh, the uh, uh, what do you call it? At the end of every season, we get the uh, bloopers. Bloopers, and that a lot of that is that was all Phil putting that together. But uh, putting this together, putting a bow on this episode, Richard. Thank you very much. Always a treat, Robert, to work with you. I mean, it's never. I never fail to wonder why, and then I wonder how, and mm. obviously I follow that up with when. Mm. And, when. and I, that's why I'm always going. What? <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester and Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester. Guest stars include Jim Beaver, Sierra McCormick, Jack Conley, Steph Duvall, David Matty, and Michael Roberts. Yellow Fever was written by Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin, directed by Phil Segrisha. Editing by Nicole Baer and music by Christopher Leonards. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of this episode featured the following song. I the Tiger by Survivor. The episode originally aired on October 23rd, 2008. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spate Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine. Written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at SPN Then and Now. Become a member of the podcast at patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. This episode of Supernatural features Jensen Pertilecki and Jared Eccles. Jensen who? (laughs) Oops. The original broadcast of this episode featured the following song, Eye of the Tiger. By Survivor, not Journey. By Survivor, not Journey. Who wrote, somebody gave this, Steve, Mr. I watch Commando all the time, but don't know who's saying Eye of the Tiger. Good Lord. Again, and I appreciate you wearing the swag today, so we know that you're representing. It helps us remember what we're talking about. Um, Well, good to see you, buddy. I know we've... uh, I think I've spoken to you once or twice since the yeah. lockdown, but not much. Not much. Because it was weird times. No rap party, you know, no handshakes. No, it was really weird. It was, we were getting ready to go into, I think, episode, filming episode three, and like literally, like mar- middle March rolls around. We're like, all right, well, we're going to take a break for two weeks and see everybody in two weeks, then we'll wrap it up. And we never went back to that office. And we've been in that office for 11 years, I think. We bounced around a little bit early yeah. on. But isn't that crazy to think about? Yeah. So I have like, we, we, and a, like, like a couple of the assistants went back and like packed everything up and I just got a big delivery of boxes. It's like, here's, you know, a decade plus of your life in these boxes. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't like yeah. anywhere to put these boxes. Um, uh, but, but yes, we never got the rap party. We never got anything like that. And I think, you know, it was just, it was, a. I mean, look, compared to everything else that was going on in the world, a small thing, but a, a very odd way to end it.
Yeah, yeah, it was kind of anticlimactic. I always had that feeling, and I know this is we're you know we're talking grander than just four hundred six right now, but but I always had that feeling that had I known, and I'm sure both of you would feel the same way. You'd have, you'd have made the round. Obviously, none of us would have known. But I wish I'd gone through and made a few more handshakes or a few more like, oh man, this is great. Because there's a couple of people that I will probably never see again, like some grips or some you know crew guys that maybe. I might cross paths again, but they might retire. Like they had done 15 years on Supernatural. That might have been it. You yeah. Know? I, I mean, you've got, I think, you know, the people that were up there for the filming of the finale, Bob Singer and, and anybody else who was up there for it, I think they got a little bit more closure than the rest of us. But, but yeah, it's like a lot of the crew people, you know, who knows if you'll see them again. Like I've shot another show in Vancouver since uh, we wrapped Super, Supernatural, but those people are all off doing other things. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, they're so, scattered. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was lucky because I got to be up there for the Pentultimate episode. And so knowing, knowing you know, that this was going to be it. So I got to do, I got to, you know, go out for beers with some of the crew. Could you do that then? Was that was that yeah. feasible in the in Yeah, the outside, pandemic? you know, in benches Cloud. outside of restaurants. That's what all the restaurants were doing at that point. They all, all the restaurants were outdoor restaurants. Um, wow. Yeah. Crazy. And it was August. So the weather was good enough to do that. That's good beer weather weather. right there, Robbie. Um, Funny. Funny stuff. Storybell Media.